we're going to get started here. How many of you can relate to this story? How many of you have ever made a pinky promise? Raise your hand if you've made a pinky promise. Yeah, when I was growing up, the, the pinky promise or the pinky swear was the most serious and binding promise any child could ever make. It was serious business. And we made it by interlocking our pinkies. I put a little picture on the screen for you. Um, and um, we would say, I pinky promise. Whatever we were trying to relate to the other person, we showed them our seriousness by uh, locking, interlocking our pinkies and saying, I pinky promise. So why did we make such vows? Well, the reality is we didn't trust each other, right? Why do you have to promise somebody something? Because you don't trust them. We were unreliable and untrustworthy. Therefore, we had to promise each other to keep our word on the idea that something bad would happen to us if we didn't keep that promise, right? Not being able to rely on our honesty, we had to resort to the fear of consequences to seal our promise. In our sermon this morning, Jesus speaks on oaths and the importance of honesty. Now, some of you may have noticed that I skipped a small portion of scripture. Others didn't notice at all. Well, let me tell you something. That little passage that I skipped over, verses 33 to 37, are very important. And clearly, I wasn't supposed to preach it two weeks ago because somebody was missing, and so I'm preaching it today. So, I don't know who it's for, probably me, but I'm preaching it today. So, we're going to look at that scripture passage that I accidentally skipped over in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. And it says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath. But fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. All right, so bye, you guys. Love you. <laughs> so far in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has spoken to us about true righteousness, right? The whole lesson so far has been about what righteousness uh, should look like. And he's kind of pointed out the fact that the Pharisees aren't giving them a good example of what righteousness looks like. He's taught us that true righteousness that comes from God begins in our thoughts and in our words. And this week, uh, Jesus continues to reveal the heart of righteousness. Um, he's already talked to us about murder and how that starts in, in the mind. And he's talked to us about adultery. And where does that start? In the heart and the mind, right? So now he's going on to talk about uh, this new talk, topic of integrity. And where does integrity start? in the heart and the mind, right? Heart, mind, same thing. He begins this section like the previous ones by reminding his listeners of what they already know. 
You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. So he's starting off with what they already know. The issue at hand here is one of integrity. And integrity is defined as the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, moral uprightness, or trustworthiness. Now, the Israelites were commanded to be faithful in doing what they had sworn to do. God said, if you swear to do something, you need to do it. And people were supposed to be able to count on the oaths that you made. If you made an oath, whoever you made that oath with, they should be able to rely on you to keep your promise. But over time, what had developed was a system of oaths that would enable people to look and sound trustworthy while not being held accountable to do what they had promised to do. The Jews of Jesus' day revered the idea of truth in principle, but in practice it was buried underneath their system of tradition. Now the problem is that their system of tradition over the centuries had continually cut God's law down to fit their own perspectives and their own purposes. In reality, the Pharisees were more concerned about the letter of the law than the spirit of the law. In today's scripture passage, Jesus continues to expose their convenient distortion and contradiction of God's word um, that they claim to so dearly love and teach. He addressed their contradictions concerning integrity by first talking to them about oath-making. So what is an oath? I am so glad you asked because that's what my whole next section is about. Aren't you glad? I'm not getting, I, it's so hard with you guys in masks because I can't see if you're smiling or you're going. <laughs> so an oath or a vow is a solemn promise often invoking a divine witness regarding one's future actions or behavior. In the law of Moses, God permitted the Israelites to make an oath in his name. This is very important that you listen to this because some people think, oh, you're not supposed to give an oath in God's name. Well, God in, in the Mosaic law permitted the Israelites to make an oath if it was in his name. Numbers 32 says, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but he must do everything that he has said. And Deuteronomy 6.13, fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. While the Israelites were to use oaths in the name of the Lord, they were to uh, be very careful not to misuse the name of the Lord. So if you said, I'm making a solemn vow in, in, you know, and the Lord God Almighty is my witness, you better keep that vow, right? You better not say that and not mean it. Exodus 27 says, Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. So they knew these passages, and they knew that if they made an oath and swore by God, that something bad would probably happen to them if they did not keep their promise. Leviticus 19.12 says, Do not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God. I am the Lord. So God permitted oaths and even made oaths himself. For example, he swore an oath to Abraham when he promised him that he would bless him greatly in Genesis chapter 
22. He made an oath with Noah, right? With the rainbow. Who else did he make an oath with? He made an oath with us, right? He made an oath with all the Israelites uh, concerning the promised land. And he makes oaths to us in his word for today. So if God allowed for oaths in the law of Moses and even made them himself, why does Jesus say, but I tell you, don't take an oath at all. Let your yes mean yes and your no mean no in verse 34. In this verse, Jesus is referring to a specific type of oath that's little more than a cover for hypocrisy. John MacArthur spoke of this when he said, the tradition Jesus mentions in verse 33 seemed to be, a biblic seemed to be biblical, but it had several flaws that made it fall short of what the Old Testament actually taught. He goes on to say that in Jesus' day, indiscriminate and insincere vows became so commonplace that no one took them seriously. Instead of being a mark of integrity, they became a mark of deceit. Instead of prompting confidence, they prompted skepticism. So the power of an oath that to all appearances seemed very legal and binding could be escaped by small inaccuracies in the formula they used to make that promise. They developed the fine art of hiding the truth behind their pious oaths. The Jewish religious leaders devised a system of oaths with various levels of accountability and responsibility. So if you swore by the temple, that was a mid-range oath. If you swore by the gold of the temple, whoa, you're getting pretty serious there. And if you swore by God, now that, uh, if any, you know, that one you got to keep. All the others, there's loopholes, right? Because you didn't swear by God, you swore by the temple. Depending on what you swore by, you were more or less obligated to do what you said you would do. Jesus gave an example in Matthew 23, verses 16 and 17. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever takes an oath by the temple, it means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gold of the temple is bound by the oath. Blind fools! For which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? Depending on what you swore by, you were more or less obligated to do what you said you would do. Oftentimes, less obligated. People would swear by some lesser things because they, respond, the, the, they reasoned that if they broke their word, then at least they weren't bringing God's name into it, right? Just in case I can't keep that oath, I don't want to bring God's name into it. It became a task of the rabbis to sort out and decide which of these various oaths were completely binding. And as you can see, the system became so convoluted that the true nature of making an oath lost its meaning. Jesus rejected this hypocrisy and called his followers to a higher standard. He said that a righteousness greater than the Pharisees involves being true to your promise. What he's saying, my friends, is if you make a promise, you need to keep it. He went even further and said that integrity actually doesn't require a promise or an oath at all. Because an oath or a promise implies that there are times when our word can't be counted on. 
So we have to add these things to convince someone else that this time we will be bound by what we say we will do. So Jesus rebuked the rabbi's teachings and called his followers to the standard of absolute truth, which brings us to the second topic that he used in um, addressing the contradictions concerning their integrity, the Pharisees' integrity. And he brought up the topic of honesty. The message from Jesus is clear when he says, let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Whatever you say, let it be, right? Let it be. In other words, everything we say and do should be done with honesty and integrity, especially if we call ourselves Christians. As men and women of God, we have to tell the truth and we have to be trustworthy. It's not enough to say we're trustworthy. We have to demonstrate that we are trustworthy. Does this mean that we can never make an oath under any circumstances? Unfortunately, because we live in a sinful world that is accustomed to deceit, we may need to prove our trustworthiness with an oath. This is acceptable. Remember, Jesus condemned the oaths of the Pharisees that was used to cover up their hypocrisy. Many Christians believe that Jesus isn't forbidding the use of oaths that demonstrate trustworthiness and builds trust. In other words, are you making an oath to prove your honesty, or are you making an oath to hide your hypocrisy? Sometimes we blurt out a response to sound good or generous or flexible without thinking through whether we really intend to follow through with what we've said. I've done that many a times. I remember many years ago realizing that I often told people I would pray for them, then I would forget to pray for them. I knew that I was appearing far more pious and interested in what people were going through than in fact I was, and I was ashamed of myself. To have our yes mean yes and our no mean no means that there's not a discrepancy between what you say and what you do. We don't appear to be anything else than who we truly are. Our word is an extension of our inward being. People are able to see more clearly into who we are when our words and our actions correspond. Our honesty is important because we're witnesses for Jesus Christ. It says so in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. If Christians are unreliable, our witness is tarnished, right? If we're known as a person who doesn't keep their word, what does that say about our Heavenly Father? If we can't be trusted to keep our word, we cannot be trusted to spread the word. Our honesty is important because we are witnesses for Jesus. So ask yourself, am I reliable? Am I trustworthy? Do I make promises that I can't keep or that I don't intend to keep? If you're not able to keep a promise, how do you respond? Do you ask for forgiveness or do you simply excuse it? Jesus calls his disciples to be honest and trustworthy and to be reliable. So reliable that when we say yes, we mean yes. And when we say no, we mean no. Remember that Jesus is calling us to have a righteousness that comes from God himself. So if we try to do this on our own, it's not going to happen. And that's where we fail, is when we try to do it on our own. But this righteousness comes from God. So God is our example of integrity. 
He's asking us to reflect the image of God, and God doesn't have any discrepancy between his word to us and his actions. What God says, God does. We can completely count on God's word to be backed up by his actions. He doesn't need to swear in order to convince us that he is serious. Imagine God coming to you and saying, you know what, the next time you're in trouble, Teresa, I'm going to be there for you. I I swear. I swear to God that the next time you're in trouble, I, God, will be there for you. I swear. Like, God is not going to do that. Why? Because he doesn't need to, because what God says is true. We can always count on him. We don't need to work our lives around only having vague hopes that he might come through. Jesus reveals to us the true heart of God, and we can trust that God will always be faithful to us. He will, as Paul says in the beginning of Philippians, bring to completion the good work that he has begun in each one of us. God doesn't waver in his love for us. He does not waver in his word to us. Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthian church, says this, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we preached among you, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. So how wonderful to know that he is faithful and can always be trusted to be true to us. So what are the practical implications of Christians telling the truth? What are the practical implications of that? Well, first, it's not just about not making vows. Some in church history have said that Jesus here in this passage forbids any Christian from taking a vow or an oath. The Anabaptists, the Moravians, the Quakers, they all insisted on this. And for many of them, this was very costly stance for them. George Fox uh, of the, the Quaker church was famously imprisoned for refusing to swear on a Bible. He argued that he wouldn't swear on the very thing that forbade him from making such promises. Now, I admire his tenacity and his fervor a great deal, but I am not so sure, as we've already seen, that this is actually the takeaway of this text. We know from Old Testament instruction from Jesus himself and from the writings and teachings of Paul in 2 Corinthians and in Romans that oath-taking isn't forbidden for Christians. What Jesus teaches us is that it shouldn't be necessary. Does that make sense? What he's saying here is it shouldn't be necessary. Unfortunately, we sometimes have to resort to that. But it shouldn't be necessary. It's also worth noting that the oaths that Jesus was rebuking weren't ones taken in formal or legal environments, but in everyday conversations. Methuselah would promise you something, but you knew that Methuselah was liberal with the truth. And so you would press him, and he would take a vow that would stop short of anything that would bind him to God. So how do we live lives of radically righteous truth and not act like Methuselah? First, we acknowledge the comprehensive nature of God's ownership in our lives. If God owns all and sees all, then there shouldn't be an area that we don't submit to him. Tell truth online and in person. 
tell truth to people's faces and behind their backs, in church and at work, with family and with strangers, in big things and in little things. God cares about all of it. So let's not be little Pharisees trying to draw arbitrary lines of what uh, of where it matters and where it doesn't matter to tell the truth. Second, recognize where you're likely to lie. If there's a pattern of deceit, where is it? This information is really helpful to know because when we know where we are likely to lie or where we are most weak, we can guard against it and work with the Holy Spirit to put that area to death. Third, we have to understand why we lie. Why do we lie? We've been lying from the very beginning, but in order for us to tell a lie, we first have to believe a lie. Think about it. All lie telling starts with lie believing. If I say this, I will be accepted. If I say this, I will be respected. I need people to believe this about me. I can get away with it and not get caught. Another lie will cover this first lie and it will stop there. There's no such thing as a single lie. They always lead to more and eventually some people don't even know what is true in their lives anymore. It may seem easy to tell one lie, but it is not easy to tell just one lie. Third, commit to truth telling, or fourth, commit to truth telling. What a simple takeaway from this sermon today. But I think it's Jesus' main point. Tell the truth. In our context, one of the ways that we can most radically obey Jesus is by people who commit to telling the truth. It's actually quite revolutionary. Turn to truth believing. If we're to live like that, then we're going to need to believe some truths about who God is and who we are as a result. So how about these ones for a start? How about this truth? God sees everything in our lives and cares about our truth-telling in big and small things. God made us, God knows us, and God loves us. And he doesn't need for us to be anyone or anything other than what he has already made us to be. And let's finish with this one in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 19 to 20. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. God never lies. In fact, scripture tells us again and again that God cannot lie. He is truth, and the gospel invites us to be people of truth as well. So, God is encouraging each one of us today to be people of integrity. When we say something, whether we say I promise or not, we need to follow through with what we say. Parents, this is so important. 
when we say something to our children, we have to be people of integrity and we have to follow through. That's good and bad. If we say you're going to be punished if you do this, then guess what? We have to be people of integrity and we have to do what we say. Because if we don't do what we say, our children aren't going to learn integrity from us. What are they going to learn? Lying, cheating, right? Any comments, questions, or concerns? Heavy topic. Yes, Ken. A man is only as good as his word. Let me repeat for the people at home who are watching, because this is really good what she said. Kendra said that sometimes she has a tendency of forcing people to make a promise because she needs them to do something. She really wants it to happen. Um, and so she'll say, you, got, you promised me. You have to promise me that you're going to do this. And she'll, in a way, force the person to make a promise that they may not be able to keep. And she said, we have to be careful as Christians not to force people to make a promise that they may break. And I think that's really wise to say that because um, we, we not only need to be careful about our own integrity and making promises and oaths, but not to force somebody to make a promise or an oath that they may not be able to keep. So that was really good. Thank you. How many of you have had somebody break a promise or an oath to you? Yeah. I'm not going to ask how many of you have broken a promise or an oath because I think the answer would be exactly the same as the one before, which every hand was raised. You know, it's painful when somebody breaks a promise or an oath. And a promise or an oath, um, you know, if we, as Christians, if we're letting our yes be yes and our no be no, and we're not saying, I promise I'll do this, whatever we say, we need to do. So if we say, I'm going to come over on Tuesday, and we don't come over on Tuesday, we have broken a promise, right? Because our yes should be yes and our no should be no. May the peace of the Lord be with you. And also with you. Thank you. Love one another. And be, be good. good.